I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Welcome back, everyone, to Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. It's great to be with you today. I am Boyd Matheson, and as we always try to do, we're we're trying to extend our thinking just a little bit. Again, as Einstein said, it's not that I'm any smarter. Just I'm willing to stay with the questions a little longer. So we're going to stay with the question as it relates to the finances of the country. Uh, President Biden, of course, laid out uh, some large plans uh, and how he attempt will attempt to pay for them in terms of increasing the, the top rates and the uh, uh, some of those uh, things at the high end of the scale uh, for businesses and for individuals uh, in terms of uh, the, those tax rates. And the interesting thing to me that we have to think again about is what those rates are and how they have fluctuated over time and what it really means in terms of what the government will collect in terms of tax revenue. And uh, helping us break that down today, uh, Alex uh, Morishanu uh, is a uh, federal analyst for the Tax Foundation in Washington, D.C. He's also a contributor at Young Voices, and uh, he joins us on the line. Alex, thanks for uh, dropping in today. Thanks for having me, Boyd. So the president laid out a, a whole lot of spending uh, last night and said he's going to pay for it by having the the wealthiest, the top one percenters pay their fair share. Uh, you've looked at this historically, Alex. Just run us through the the history and what what is the real possibility in terms of revenue generated through the tax system? Yeah, so if you look at historically, for, for a long time, rates uh, for individuals in the United States were quite high back in uh, from the 1950s uh, through uh, about the 1980s, and then rates came down significantly under the Reagan administration. But I think the important thing to remember is that uh, those rates usually applied to a very narrow percentage of taxpayers, and that there were a lot of rules that let people uh, reduce their tax burden, to essentially sort of legally speaking, avoid, um, avoid paying those kind of rates. And in the 1980s, there were a lot of reforms that brought rates down, but also eliminated a lot, although not all, of those types of, of features. So uh, these increases would be a, a significant change relative to the past uh, past 40 years in terms of, of the top rate, at least for individuals. On um, the corporate side, um, this would this would uh, the corporate rate has been higher in the past. Uh, you know, we, we reduced it from 35 percent to 21 in 2017. But uh, we should view the increase in the corporate rate to 28 percent in the context of the world and among developed countries. And when considering that states also levy corporate income taxes, many states do. Uh, this would put the U.S. at the highest uh, level uh, of any. Uh, developed country in terms of, of, of taxing corporations. And that would be a mistake, I think, because that would make us less competitive and and reduce investment in the United States. Yeah. So as we look at that from the uh, from the corporate side, uh, I think that I think you hit the, the nail on the head there in terms of being able to be competitive globally, uh, especially in such an interconnected world and such an interconnected economy that we have now. 
um, that, that surely has to have an impact on businesses. And then businesses are, are either going to, you know, reduce or pass costs on to consumers uh, or reduce workforce. Uh, how else do you see that, uh, that playing out? Yeah, so I think the main economic concern here should be workers. And the thing about the corporate income tax is that it taxes the returns to investment. And investment is really what drives growth and broadly shared prosperity. You know, if you want to think about building you know, factories or, or new equipment and, and stuff like that, those are the type of things that drive productivity increases, and productivity increases are what drive long-term wage increases. Um, and by raising the tax on investment, that means less investment, which means less productivity growth, which means less wage growth. Um, so that is, I think, the main concern with raising the corporate income tax rate. Um, and there are other concerns related to uh, other provisions, such as his idea for a, a book minimum tax, which do not want to go into the, the accounting uh, in depth into the accounting there, but that might also pose a problem for how companies deduct the cost of their their capital investment and stuff like you know building you know structures or, or equipment machinery stuff like that. Sure. Okay. So, uh, and then let's shift over to the the individual side uh, as well for just a moment here, uh, because the thing I want I want to get to is regardless of where these rates go, even in the the nineteen sixties, I guess was the last time it was you know ninety ninety one percent rate there. It still seems that the amount of revenue that you can actually squeeze out of this thing uh, seems to be fairly consistent in terms of what actually comes out the other end, regardless of where the where you set those. Yeah, I think I think that, that there, there's some there's some truth to that, um, uh, especially when you look at the the average the average uh, uh, tax paid versus the mar- the sort of marginal rate at, mm-hmm. at for income earned above you know around 400,000 or, or, or wherever. Um, when you look at these sort of average tax paid by people in, the, in those sort of high brackets, it, it hasn't changed nearly as much as the looking at just the top marginal rate um, would tell you. Um, I think another issue, too, uh, with, with this discussion of, of, of how revenue is generated, that, that people say, oh, well, you know, the U.S. U.S. did have you know a really high corporate income tax, but the fact is that you know we raised less corporate taxes as part of GDP than other countries mm-hmm. did, um, and I think that is mostly driven by that a lot of American businesses are are pass-throughs, which are uh, usually typically typically smaller businesses um, that are taxed under the individual income tax system, mm-hmm. not the corporate income tax system. Right. And part of the reason for this is because we had a very high corporate income tax. Right. So businesses were much more likely to not adopt a, a corporate structure and instead remain pass-through businesses. Um, so I think that is another part of the debate historically that is uh, a, a little bit skewed or a, a little bit, a little bit uh, confusing and misperceived. Yeah. Yeah, fascinating. Uh, we just got about a minute left, and uh, I just wanted to ask you the uh, if the federal government, the president again, the president's laying out a lot of things uh, to spend on on projects. Uh, if there was a simple way for the federal government, if it wants to take more money from from people, whether it's individuals or companies, to pay for a project, uh, is there a better way <laughs> for them to go about that and get that and get that explained and in front of the American people? 
Yeah, so there are a lot of provisions in, uh, oddly enough, uh, the, the Biden plan, especially the, the American Jobs Plan, would introduce a bunch of new subsidies for or tax subsidies or credits for specific types of investment. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of these for a lot of different things in the tax code. And so instead of, of raising rates, just sort of gutting through a lot of those uh, what are called sort of tax expenditures, uh, which are roughly means sort of spending through the tax code, um, getting rid of those on the corporate side would raise a decent amount of revenue. Um, you could go through uh, um, a gas tax, which is historically what we've done to raise revenue to fund infrastructure. Um, that could be done, uh, and as well as sort of eliminating uh, deductions, which um, uh, sort of what what the 2017 tax reform did on on a, on a larger scale. Um, uh, that could also raise revenue in a way that would make a lot more sense economically than the 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 rate increases that we currently have on the table. Yeah, fascinating stuff, and uh, it's always interesting how you get to the money and how you how you pay for it on the on the backside. Uh, Alex uh, Morishanu from the uh, Tax Foundation in Washington D.C. He's the federal analyst there, and uh, appreciate your insight on this. And there's a lot more we can dig into. We'll have you back uh, as we figure out how we pay for all of these things and what the tax system looks like. But thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Robin Boyd. All right, uh, when we come back, uh, we're going to stay with the question just a little longer. We have a lesson from across the sea in terms of where all this spending takes us in the end. And I'm going to propose a new way to start a conversation about government spending. Stay with us. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.